Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, I hope you had a great Christmas. I did. Yeah, here we are the day after Christmas in the studio taping uh, with two of our wonderful guests that uh, are doing a historical series, Sandy Ouellette and Nancy Marie. We appreciate you guys being here, and this whole year we've done this historical series, and I think it's been great, and people have learned a whole lot from it. I know I've learned a lot from it. So. Well, of course you have. Well, yeah, it's like drinking I, from a fire hose, yeah. but it's you know I'm picking up little bits and pieces along the way. Well, so you're pretty good. you're pretty smart. I don't know about oh, that. Yeah, you know. you're pretty smart. <laughs> but it, it it's been a great year this yeah. year, and the opportunities that we've had to sit with these ladies oh, and absolutely. to soak it up, and you know we taped live at the NCANA meeting, and as we looked out nobody was on their telephone yeah it was amazing yeah it's good well today you know with christmas and the new year and on all the stuff we've done this year we're going to talk about gifts received over a career in anesthesia and i know both of you ladies feel like this has been a gift for you and and it shows Mm -hmm. it shows in everything you've given back and you know a career as a nurse anesthetist was just rated in the top 10 careers in the country i think it was Four? Four. Is it fourth? Yeah. And as of this season of giving and, and gifts, you know, we, we just want to give thanks for the opportunities of, of being a CRNA, and I know that's what you want to do. And So you guys have a collective 95 years. Make sure you say that's collective. I'm collective. not 95 <laughs> yet, but I'm close to it. Well, if you were 95, <laughs> you'd have to start it as a baby, maybe. <laughs> Uh, and although you've been around a long time, you hadn't been given anesthesia that long. So. 95 years. That's amazing. I know, and she's done most of them. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> we're not going down that road. <laughs> I'm glad she doesn't have that concealed weapon with her that she's told us <laughs> That's about. Right. It's a judge. It's like the judge. Yeah, I'll make her lock it up when I'm there. Uh, <laughs> so, with so, good reason, she might shoot you. Well, let's ask both of you. You know, what drew you to a career as a nurse anesthetist? And and maybe there was somebody who was responsible and kind of steered you that way. We'll start with you, Nancy. Well, I think the first time I ever heard anything about nurse anesthesia was probably when I was in high school. 
there was a doctor's wife who graduated from the School of Nursing at Baptist, and she knew that I was wrestling between being a school teacher or going into nursing, and she told me I should go into nursing and be a nurse anesthetist. So, you know, sort of when I went to nursing school, that was in the back of my mind. But I've said this so many times, once I got into nursing, I really realized I really didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And I just just knew I couldn't spend the rest of my life doing that, and I just looked at how many people moved up in the profession of nursing. There weren't very many, you know, jobs to move up in. And so my ideas about nurse anesthesia came back, and so I did go back into anesthesia, go into anesthesia school in 1972, and um, it just fit. I was just outside talking to a couple of anesthesia students, and you know, I told them, I said, you know, you'll always be learning. It's just a career you'll always be learning. When I look back at when I was in anesthesia school and all the many things, drugs and and equipment and everything that has come about in those years. I mean, it is just phenomenal. You know, I had a gas machine that was hardly a gas machine when I started, and now they check themselves, you know. It's just the greatest career in the world. What can I say? Sandy, what got you into nurse anesthesia? Well, I'll try to be brief, but I'm going to start way back. I was a terrible, terrible student in high school. No way. I had no interest you know, a dead language, Latin, why would you be interested in that? Why did I have to take French? I was never going to live in France. It just, it wasn't me, you know. And so when I finished high school and was going to college, I was not academically prepared. In fact, I could not get in to any of the colleges I wanted to go to. My father and mother, particularly my father, had had enough at that time. He was, you know, pretty much done. But he said, you got two choices. I'm going to make sure you get to a junior college. And he went down and talked to the presidents to slip me in that college. He said, and if you don't like that, you can come back and work in our peanut fields. He was going to put a hoe in my hand. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't want to do at that particular point in time. And so I went to this junior college. I made dean's list. And um, during that time, that summer... I worked as a nurse's aide at our local hospital. Now, my poor aunt, oh, Aunt Eleanor, I love her to death, and she was assistant director of nurses, and she was sure that I was going to have this job. She was so sure that she made my nurse's aide uniform, and she didn't even sew, and she made that (laughs) uniform and put me to work. So I got interested in it. And after a year in the junior college and dean's list, I went to a three-year diploma nursing program, which was Watts Hospital School of Nursing, which, by the way, is still one of the oldest, longest existing. Yeah, three, is this still in existence? Three-year diploma program. Wow. Yes, it still is. Pierce's high school girlfriend went to Watts. Yeah, how about <laughs> wow. that? And so, anyway, after that, there was a lady in my hometown, and the only anesthesia services the whole time I was there growing up were two sisters that were nurse anesthetists. And one... Grace, I mean, like, sisters like blood sisters, blood not sisters, sisters blood, like, no, they like were not, yeah, nuns. Yeah, they, they were blood sisters. Okay. And they... And Grace went to our church, and I d- wasn't sure what she did, but she never sat through a whole service. They were calling her out all the time, and I didn't want to sit through a whole service either, so I said, I want a job, <laughs> I I want a job like she's got. You know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so they were calling her back to the operating room. And then at, um, at Watts, I really became focused on anesthesia. They had a nurse anesthesia program there. Some of my friends were in that program. And what I really liked about it 
I would have breakfast with them, you know, mm-hmm. and I would see them leaving at nine o'clock on Monday morning. And I thought, you know, I don't know what your shifts are like, but I sure like this one. You didn't I, know I, they'd been there, th- been there since Saturday morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I quickly found that out. And so I finished Watts in May after three years, and the following April, I was enrolled in um, the nurse anesthesia program at North Carolina Baptist Hospital, Bowman Gray School of Medicine at the time. I went there because I was so impressed with a director who was Helen Voss. Mm-hmm. She was a past president of the AANA, I think, in 1966. And she was just uh, everything. And uh, so it was a quick, we didn't have to do ICU. We didn't have to do all those things that people after me did. So I had very little nursing. And then I was straight into nurse anesthesia, graduating in 1969. So, Nancy, you kind of touched on this just a couple of minutes ago. But how has the educational process for nurse anesthetists changed since you were trained in, and you graduated in 72? 74. 74. Oh, but I've seen your lovely picture on the wall <laughs> with the little mini skirt and the chunky heels and your picture whenever you graduated. I know. I was really cute, wasn't I? <laughs> you were adorable. You had You are still legs. really cute. What are you talking about? Not was. What do you mean? <laughs> really? She was, uh, that her nickname in high school was Giselle, because you said that you were, you were captain of the basketball team and you were the shortest one on the team. <laughs> but she could run like lightning. I was mean, too. Well, that is not surprising. <laughs> Don't think that surprises me. <laughs> How has nurse anesthesia changed? Or well, the educational mm, piece the education. of it. Yeah. Well, you know, I was really fortunate, and Sandy was, too, because we did go to a school that was well-organized, and we really had class and that type of thing. But... When I look at the curriculum, I don't really see anything that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. We just, the number of hours that are required have certainly increased. And obviously, there are three-year programs now instead of 24-month programs. One big difference is that when I was in school, and I'm sure it it was the same for Sandy, is there really was no limit to how many hours they could work you. Right. I know my first day in anesthesia school was a Wednesday and I started the day off by going to Wednesday morning conference and then we went to class from 8 to 3 and then I was on call the rest of the night and then I got up and went to class from 8 to 3 then I went and did my pre-ops and then I got to go home and go to bed wow um (laughs) so um good thing you were young Mm -hmm. yeah and you know, we did 16-hour calls Monday through Friday, but the weekends were 24-hour calls. And we did have certain numbers of cases that we had to do. We kept a record just like you did when mm-hmm. you were in school. But as we progressed through the program, it wasn't unusual, particularly in the last six months that you were in the program, that you had your room yourself. You didn't work with a CRNA. You did just exactly what the CRNAs did. You went and talked to your anesthesiologist. And went in and you did your case, and if you needed them, you called them. We also did all of our pre-ops and post-ops, which is not the way necessarily things are today because we have so many same-day admits and so mm-hmm. many outpatient patients that go home, and they're pre-opt and post-opt in different ways. But I felt like I had a really good education, and I, I really enjoyed that part of it, and I 
I had physiology and nursing, and actually I had it at Wake Forest. But it was really the first time that you know I ever really got to really delve into the systems because we did have cardiovascular physiology and renal physiology. In fact, she taught it to me, and um, <laughs> you know, so I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what I'm hearing you say is. Because of the school you went to, it's still very similar because, you know, a lot of people say that the last 40 years that now the programs are longer or whatever. But the basics are the basics to make a competent, skilled, Mm -hmm. knowledgeable nurse anesthetist. Mm -hmm. A lot of the other things have been added as we've increased the length of the programs are good courses. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I call them fluff courses. Okay. Uh, They really are not geared to the generic program of a nurse anesthetist, but they do broaden the student and Mm -hmm. make them uh, a lot more marketable in terms of leadership positions Mm -hmm. and things like that, which is all good. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I did hearts, I did neuro, which I know, and there were schools that were in smaller hospitals that probably didn't get that extensive clinical Mm -hmm. education, but I felt like, and we, we got, we had a lot of independence. We went on codes with another student you know, and just call for help if we needed help, you know. Mm-hmm. So. And I got to supervise for that one moment in time, Miss Marie over there, <laughs> because I graduated <laughs> in 69, and she was a student <clears throat> a few years after that. So I was her teacher, oh. and I was her supervisor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had some experiences. We don't have time to tell them, but sometimes <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> some of the things that happened. <laughs> So your experience was, since it was just a few years apart, I'm hearing you say that your experience was very similar. Well, it is, but I, I remember a few other things. Okay. Uh, when I arrived at this academic medical center in 1967, there were no anesthesiologists. What had happened, there had been this coup before, and uh, it was really CRNA-driven because Helen Voss had been appointed the director of the program, and there was another individual that I will not name that thought she should be director of the program. And so what happened, the students got together, because Helen Voss was clearly the best teacher Mm -hmm. I have ever had in my life. And those students ran those operating rooms. They had a very few nurse anesthetists. All those operating rooms, it was a student sitting there with several CRNAs throughout the suite, but they were running, they had no anesthesiologists. And so uh, what happened before I, right before I got there is they fired all the anesthesiologists and kept Helen Voss because the students said if she left, they were leaving. All and of they them. were the manpower. And they wow. were the manpower. And they had already talked to someone in Georgia, Barbara Reap, and said, if we leave, can we come to you? And she had a, a school there. And I think she was going to be agreeable to that. And so the chief of surgery said, oh, no, <laughs> no, this is not going to happen. So they all left. And we ended up with one resident and he finished his residency by himself. Henry Turner? He was, he was, <laughs> and he was wonderful. Yes, and, um, I still see him every once in a while. <laughs> right. And so anyway, and so when we were there running the ORs, a fourth six-month student supervised a first six-month student. And a third six-month student supervised a second six-month mm-hmm. student. And we covered both the OR and the obstetrical units. In OB, I remember almost everyone received a general anesthetic with either ethylene, nitrous oxide, 
or cyclopropane, mm. you know, which was one of the explosive anesthetics at the time. And there was no endotracheal tube. You know, somehow the obstetricians equated an endotracheal tube with a kiss of death. And so we weren't allowed to intubate any of those patients. So did you just mask them? We mask them. General anesthesia, mask them. Pregnant. Pregnant. Yes. Holy cow. And you know something? I look back and And I I tell people all the time, I'm surprised the population of Forsyth County is as large (laughs) as it is, (laughs) you know, in terms of what we did. But you know something? I remember few to no aspirations. And you know why? Because we were skilled at airway management. And what you did, cyclopropane, they breathed on their own mm-hmm. pretty well. It was like SIVO, right. one or two breaths induction, and they were gone. And they would breathe on their own. And so you let them breathe. You never assisted them, and you never let them get obstructed. Never, ever let them get right. obstructed. And when they woke up, they always vomited, but they were awake. And uh, so, so, so we, we didn't have too much trouble. Better than and, the alternative. Right? <laughs> that's right. So um, no disposable equipment. Just imagine mm-hmm. when you've been in the OR all day and you had that black corrugated tubing and right. black mask and you had non-disposable endotracheal tubes and non- non-disposable you know, airways, everything. Then when you finished all your cases, all the students for the day, you then had to go and clean all the equipment. And then you had, as Nancy said, go make your pre-ops for the next day. And you didn't have an infection rate out the roof. We didn't. Mm -hmm. We didn't. Isn't that amazing? That's right. No disposable equipment. Monitoring, it was hand on the pulse, just the basic, basic monitoring. There were these little bullet EKG machines, but they were... You could see like, it was a little bullet. You could see like two complexes Mm -hmm. that would go across. And you only got those for your sickest patients. And, you know, so we'd get there early because we thought our patients were sicker than somebody else's patients. (laughs) We'd go to breakfast. We'd come back and our bullet was gone because somebody had gone in and stole it and put it in their room. Uh, (laughs) But um, anyway, so it it was that type of thing. The only way we could obtain a blood pressure, we could not obtain a blood pressure on an infant. We finally started using Dopplers, but no way to take a blood pressure. Wow. See, see, pulse oximetry and entitled CO2 right. didn't come in until the minimum Harvard standards for right. monitoring, about 85, 88, right. around I remember that. getting we, the we, first we pulse nothing. as a nurse. But, but, you know, we did well with nothing. Now, if you look at the national mortality rate, it really wasn't all that swift, not like it is now. But I thought we did well. The good thing that the students will just cringe with today is the cost of my anesthesia program was $100 on admission. And I got that $100 back when I graduated. We had a place to live on campus. We had a two-story brick apartment building, and all of us had a room. Some donor for the medical center had put a swimming pool right in our front yard. And we had a party every six months when a group finished (laughs) and went on through by the pool. And that that was so nice. The cafeteria was open 24-7, and any resident, any intern, any student could go by there anytime, 24 hours a day, and pick up anything they wanted to eat. So we hung out in the cafeteria all the time. Our instructors, when we had one, when we would go to lunch, we couldn't come back unless we brought them lunch because we could get all the free food (laughs) we wanted, and and they couldn't. And uh, so really, you know, I look back on it. It was a good life. Yeah. I had a car that cost me $250. It would hardly run. I put as much oil in it as I did gas. And my father mounted a little mine on the back of it so I could take my Honda 50 in case it broke down. Then I had a motorcycle that I could ride. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that was my life. And they paid us a stipend. Yeah. And wow. so that stipend, 
I live good then. Mm-hmm. It was a good life. Wow. Oh, yeah. There are students listening this right now in yeah. cringing. But yeah. for those students, always remember, even today, the return on investment oh. for your educational dollar over a lifetime oh. cannot be beat. Wouldn't no, you agree with that, Jeremy? Absolutely, without a doubt. Listen, without I say this all mm-hmm. the time because my Shelly, who is a lawyer, she came out with just as much student debt from her law school yeah. program. Her beginning salary was she went to work in the public defender's office. I think she made $50,000. Right. Yeah. She might make $90,000 now, and she still had... Two hundred and some thousand dollars yep. of student loans. So her ROI is much different. Oh yeah, than look, these anesthesia students. Well, well look at a, someone that goes for their PhD, a research PhD. Right. They've got that same cost, and yeah. I'm telling you, they're not going to be anywhere near that. Right. Throughout their whole career. Well, that's a gift in itself. Sandy. It's a we, wonderful we, we gift. We can spend the some PhD? time talking about that. No, I'm just talking about. The trade-off and coming out and making what they make. Oh, is yeah. you're not kidding. Return on investment Return over on investment. a lifetime Absolutely. cannot be beat. Nope. Cannot. Yeah, yeah. you got to recognize that. You're exactly right. Sandy didn't tell you, though, that those OB patients that vomited, what? They were all told by their mothers before they came in to stop by Kentucky Fried Chicken <laughs> because when they got into the hospital, they would not be not, fed. Right. <laughs> so they ate on so, the way. So they all had, Last thing they all had full stomachs. Well, you know, thinking back, I, I can remember my mama talking about being pregnant. and You couldn't gain over 20 pounds mm-hmm. back then. And, you know, people were smaller once than they were now. So you didn't probably mass ventilate many 400-pounders. Like no, I don't remember the obesity uh, like it is now. My first yeah. patient a couple of weeks ago was 4 foot 11 and weighed 367 pounds no. well, in they, an office. But they didn't first have patient. the prenatal care. Uh, See, many, many of them didn't have any prenatal care when they came in. So I guess there's trade-offs wow. so, is what yeah. I'm yeah. hearing yeah. Yeah. Um, from both both mm-hmm. times. So over 90% of CRNA spend a career in clinical anesthesia, but both of you guys move from clinical into the educational arena. So what made you do that? Nancy? You know, when I first graduated, I went out and worked in two rural hospitals without anesthesiologists, and then I came back to Baptist, and I didn't really come back there to get into education. I went back there because I wanted to do the complicated cases again. I, I was just kind of tired of doing hysterectomies and cholecystectomies, and I wanted to do hearts again and neuro and trauma and that sort of thing. And um, I guess the way I got into it was Helen, of course, retired, and well, somebody looked at my transcript. I guess it was Miss Crump, Shirley Crump, who did it. And I had had a fair amount of chemistry in my background. And so she asked me if I would think about teaching chemistry. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it happened. And I enjoyed doing that. And then I went from there to teaching history and chemistry. And then it just kind of went on from there. You know, the school was able to, at one point, to have a third faculty person and I applied for it and I got it and it was just a something natural that I, progression. Yeah. And I really I was still doing clinical. But I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed being with the students and So you and didn't wake up one morning and say, Hey, I think I want to be an educator. It mm-hmm. just kind of happened. No. 
I didn't wake up to be an educator. I mean, some people come out and they know that's what they mm-hmm. want to do, Mm-mm. but not so much uh, you. No, because I enjoyed clinical anesthesia. I didn't have any. In fact, after I got into education and I would go back into, I mean, pretty much full time and go back in the clinical area and, you know, do a case or two or work with the students, I'd walk out and say, why did I ever leave this, you know? <laughs> now i got this 24-7 job, and why did I do this? But I always went back. I didn't. I enjoyed it, so. Sandy? Well, unlike Nancy, I graduated at Baptist and never left Baptist. I graduated in 1967, and I retired from there in 2005. And I would credit my transition from clinical to education to, again, Helen Voss. I love clinical. And as a young graduate, I was the only CRNA that moved into the cardiac unit. I did anesthesia for the uh, open heart cases, both infants and adults, and had students with me in there. And I loved it. And Helen wanted me to teach. And I said, I can't teach. I could not say boo in front of an audience. I said, Uh. I can't speak in front of an audience. So she said, well, there's this little room around the corner. She said, why don't you just come there and teach just the students in this little room? So I could do that. And then it sort of grew from there. When I was a senior, we had a capstone project like Mm -hmm. students do today. Mm -hmm. But we had to present our capstone project. And I went to see Miss Voss before, and I said, I've written this. I said, but I cannot present it. I can't do it because it was before some CRNAs and the chair of the department and everything. She said, all she did is she looked at me. She said, well, you certainly don't have to, but you must understand that no one has ever graduated from this program without writing (laughs) and presenting their capstone project. So I said, okay. So um, anyway, shortly after beginning to teach in 1982, remember I was only out of school in 69, I became uh, director of the program and uh, kept that position to 2005. It was a diploma-based program, like the one I graduated from. But in 1988, we were able to move this to a master's program based at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. I moved it there because that was just several years after we had successfully legislated and got regulation for direct reimbursement. It was not a happy time in academia with anesthesiologists on what we had done, and I had to get it out because all those programs were closing, so I had to get it away from the medical center. Now I'm very, very happy it has been brought back to the medical center, and uh, it is an integral part of the School of Medicine of Wake Forest University because that's where it needs to be. They understand clearly a medical model, and that's what we need to teach for competency RNAs. Yeah. You know, both of you obviously believe in giving back to this profession. Tell us about some service over and above the job you were involved in that brought you or brought value to the specialty. Well, I looked at this question. I wasn't sure whether you meant involved over the job relative to anesthesia, but, you know, it's just so many things that I've, I've done that I feel like brought value to the specialty because and to me because I learned so much but I think one of the things that I where I learned a tremendous amount was being on the council on accreditation and chairing that council because it gave me a really inside look at other schools and what they were doing I really learned how to do a self-study and have somebody come and do your on-site review so I think that brought value back to 
what I was doing. And then when I was on the board of directors, I learned a lot about Medicare billing. And that that has been something that has been a, a progressive thing. But it to me, to have that kind of understanding of what the law meant and how we got our money, our pay, was something that I felt like I, I brought back to the specialty because I was able to answer a lot of people's questions. You know, particularly when I was on the board, speaking at meetings and that type of thing, I could answer their questions fairly. Well, I think you've done one other thing that's been very helpful, and a lot of nurses in this country, uh, nurse anesthetists can't say it, you served on the board of nursing, and you chaired the board of nursing. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's vital. You took us outside of just our own right. little specialty, which is important. And Janice Islar is chairing yes. in Georgia. We've got about 10 yeah. s- states now where there is a CRNA that's chair, from what I understand. Yeah, and that's that's huge. Well, it was very different from anything I had ever done because I had always been in the organizational side and lobbying and that sort of thing, where this was really dealing with the rules and regulations of why and how we practice and mm-hmm. it was really different and and then being involved in you know the hearings and all of that kind of stuff it was a an eye-opener for me as well as a tremendous learning experience what about for you sandy well you know of course my job was mostly being a program director and we're not talking about that but i just want to say the blessing has been and the gift has been all the students that I've met along the way. They clearly have been the wind beneath my wings. And it's so good to see them at meetings now and see how well they're doing and what their contributions are. But above the job, of course, has been organizational service, both nationally and globally, as a state president, a national president, and a president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists. I think the National Commission on Nurse Anesthesia Education really saved this profession at one of its most critical times when we had lost so many schools as a direct result of direct reimbursement, and now the schools are thriving. I have never, ever said no, I don't remember, to an invitation to do something if I could do it. When Sharon called me to be on the ANA task force for the CPC, I think it was, mm-hmm. I told her first I couldn't do it for several reasons. And, you know, you don't tell Sharon you can't do something because before the call ended, I said I would do it. 23 hours later, I was back into atrial fibrillation. For <laughs> and I, of course, am to blame. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, uh, I always remember what Agatha Hodgins said when Kryle appointed her as his personal anesthetist. And she said, I will do this as long as you remember I give my best. And that's the way I've always Mm -hmm. felt. I'll do whatever needs to be done. If you understand, it may not be to your expectations, but I'm doing my best. And more recently, the fun thing right now, which I think is going to give back to many people, both in the United States and globally, I'm co-editor of the 30th anniversary history book of IFNA. I'm working with Betty Horton and uh, President Jackie Rawls, and that book should be published next year. And it'll be probably a 300-page book. I'm expecting it to be. And um, it'll be there in time for our next World Congress in Croatia in 2022. And I'm one of the few in this project, not the only one. Hermie Leonard is there, who was the 
founder of IFNA. Pascal Rod from France is also on our task force. But there's not many left that remember from the very beginning, and it's important to be there for this history and make sure things are done right. So it's been, it's been a good ride, and you always gain more than you give, mm-hmm. whatever you're asked to do, and you do it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So in closing on this day of thankfulness and being thankful for the gifts that you got yesterday at Christmas and the gifts that you have received from this profession. And we're looking forward. We've talked a lot about students and Sandy has told many, many times there's no better time to be a CRNA. Nancy, give us your thoughts, your final thoughts as we close down this year, what you're thankful for within this profession, and give your thoughts to the CRNAs that are coming up behind you and the things that you think they should be thankful for. Well, that's a big That's, that's a, a lot. Big, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things I'm really thankful for is it makes me really feel good when I go to a meeting and some of my former students will come up and say, you know, I'm so glad that you made us, they said made, I didn't make them. Oh, damn, really? (laughs) Made us come to meetings. I'm so glad that you made us, you really didn't give us much of a choice about being involved. I'm really (laughs) glad. I think that's what you call making somebody, right? (laughs) If there's no choice. But I mean, that, that makes me feel it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I, I did something to really give back to my profession. If I can see my former students involved, being president of the NCANA and those types of things, I mean, to me, that's a tremendous blessing to me. It means that what I did was was right, and it was it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. It was a good thing for mm-hmm. nurse anesthesia. And, you know, I can bring up other things too but you know just knowing that all of these things that I did really did benefit the profession and and benefit CRNAs that is a tremendous uh, blessing that I have received as a CRNA as an educator and just plain as a person Mm -hmm. well it's got to be rewarding to see students that you've taught I'm not in academia but I'm sure there is something to that well yeah I mean they've done well they've gotten awards and stuff mm-hmm so they've done well yeah. and it makes me feel good that I had a part in that mm-hmm. yeah you helped them get there. I cer- okay. certainly didn't do at all or anything like that but I, I had a part in helping them to have a profession that seems to have made given them so much in mm-hmm. their lives and mm-hmm. they seem happy mm-hmm. i think that's the key right there mm-hmm. you know this is a profession that gives an opportunity mm-hmm. to have and do so much mm-hmm. and you know I, I would think that most crnas feel thankful for that opportunity sometimes i don't think it's recognized as much as it probably should be but i would think that that they should feel thankful for this opportunity to have a career that, you know, overwhelmingly CRNAs love what they do. Right. They love their job. You get paid pretty well to do it. You have a pretty good lifestyle. And 88% of nurse anesthetists would choose the same profession again. <laughs> and you ask all of your best friends and all of your acquaintances, yeah. would you do 
what you're doing right now if you had the chance to go back. And I bet you 88% of yeah. them won't say, yeah, I bet a lot I'd of do would. it again. A lot of them would. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thankful for the gift of the AIA which has allowed us to survive for almost 100 years. Mm -hmm. We celebrate our 100th anniversary, what, 2031, which will be just a wonderful party. I can't wait to be there. I plan to be no matter what. (laughs) Um, And, of course, all of our pioneers of distinction that gave us the educational base that we have, those that fought the battles in terms of the legal challenges Mm -hmm. at the highest courts, all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. I am so thankful for all of those because without them I would have never had the opportunity that I have and of course like Nancy says I'm just a pride mama when I see (laughs) former students you know that are serving in office speaking we several are speaking at this meeting or at at a meeting recently at Nancy's graduates and my graduates and it's just a a wonderful wonderful feeling and you know I've look back and think and you know my saying has been we all drink from wells we did not dig and I think that is so true, and, and our role has been to try to pass on to the next generation. We benefited from what preceded us. We tried to leave you with a good plan. There's never been a better time to be a CRNA, but it's your time also to dig wells for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And that's a gift. Yeah. So while we're on to gifts, Jeremy, I've got to tell you. Did you buy me something? No. Oh, okay. But you've been a great gift to me this year, oh, and Lord. I've really enjoyed. Thanks, Sharon. I've got my fingers crossed, my <laughs> legs crossed, everything crossed. <laughs> but it's been a good year for us. Yeah. And I want to thank you both. I, I said I'd made my last comment, but I must thank you we both. We knew better. For, for this podcast, Beyond the Mass, because it is just so meaningful, particularly the historical segment that will live on forever and alive this current students and students to follow to know a lot about their history if they take a time to listen to it and I think they will and it's been a a wonderful wonderful gift to our profession and the last thing I want to say and I promise you this is the last (laughs) thing uh, to all nurse anesthetists both U.S. nationals and our global colleagues I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and I look forward to seeing everyone in the world at the meeting in Croatia in 2022. Yeah, uh, I think that's very befitting to end on that. So, Sharon, I think this is a wrap I for the, so. the last time this year. Wow. Yeah. Come on, 2020. So we want to we want to thank everyone for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and you want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure and hit that subscribe button. Leave us some feedback, only if it's positive. Mm-hmm. And until next year. Wow, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny.